0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Session 10 of the Creating Structure Podcast. My privilege to have with me today our guest, Jerry Schwabauer of Azon. Jerry, welcome to the show.
1: John, thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here. Happy New Year to you and to your listeners. Thank you. Uh, it's, it's my pleasure to be a part of your podcast. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I know. It's, it's it's mutual, Jerry. and Jerry and I were just talking... Um, Prior and uh, I guess I want to challenge the rest of the audience. He's listened to seven of the podcasts, I think. I
2: have, yes.
0: Thanks for that. You were just mentioning what it, what the podcast does, for you. Uh, just about that, ice. Can you explain that iceberg analogy? I really liked that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it really it became um, very evident to me when I listened to your interview with Max Pearlstein, who I've known for many many years. But there was so much that came out in that interview, in that podcast, that I didn't know about Max, uh, about uh, his family's history in the glass business, how he met his wife, yeah, um, about his, uh, his background in broadcasting uh, as Max Malone. And the thought that came to me, John, was that your podcasts are like uh, an iceberg, where what we see above the waterline is what most people know about us. But most of what we are and who we are lie below the waterline, and that's what your podcasts have done a really nice job of, is uh, letting your audience experience uh, a lot about who the person is, what drives them, how they got to where they are today, uh, those types of things. So thank you for that.
0: That's great feedback. I mean, we can dive really deep. I'll dive really deep for a second and then come back to our intro. but. Actually, the analogy you've used, I I meet with a coach. I figured if the best athletes and best business people in the world have coaches, who the heck am I? I'm just this guy running a small to medium-sized business. I probably ought to have an executive coach. So I meet with a guy. The first time I met with him, he said, John, whatever you want to achieve, let's not talk about that. That's the behavior. And he drew an iceberg. Okay. And he drew a water line and this is for everybody listening and he said your identity drives your behavior your identity is what's below the water line whatever is inside manifests externally and drives whatever behavior is visible to you and the world if your identity is solid your behavior and results will follow
1: you know john that's beautiful that that's perfect and uh as we get into my story a little bit, uh, that same philosophy um, has, uh, has driven my life. And, and I look forward to sharing that with you and with your audience here as we uh, unfold.
0: Yeah, I'm super excited about that. So let's do what we always do. Let's unpack this a little bit. Let's find out who Jerry is, where are you from, what's your background, where you work, what your education is, whether whether that's formal or informal or a combination of both. Just give us give our audience a quick sure.
1: The first thing I'll tell you, John, is I'm from Kalamazoo, Michigan, and it's amazing as I travel around the world how many people say, I didn't know that was really a place. <laughs> it, it kind of had this mythical feel to it, uh, you know, and Kalamazoo is a wonderful place. Uh, I've lived here. I moved here when I was a young boy, grew up in the east side of the state in Port Huron over on Lake Huron, uh, a little bit northeast. Oh, you
0: of up already. Okay. Okay. Port Huron. Is that close to Port Austin? Yes, it is. Absolutely. Okay. I worked there one summer. Anyway, go on. Okay.
1: So I moved here as a young guy. Um, I, uh, my you know, family was all here. Uh, went to high school here. I went to uh, college at Western Michigan University, which also is here in Kalamazoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of your podcast participants so far have been Mackers. Um, I think... Um, Mike Kohler, I think, is a Mac guy, and Max was a Mac guy, and uh, a, a few of your other folks uh, were Mac.
0: Were I'm a Mac guy, University of Akron.
1: Okay, yeah, and I'm a Western Michigan Bronco. Uh, John, when I was growing up and even going to college, um, Upjohn, the Upjohn Company was the biggest employer in Kalamazoo County, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you're familiar with that name or not because it's now part of Pfizer Group. Yeah, I am. But uh, Upjohn, was that was the big kid in, in Kalamazoo at that time. And so when I was in college, I graduated with a degree in marketing and a minor in economics.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, always really was, w- w- always wanted to sell. Um, when I was working my way through college, I worked at a small home center, uh, home supply store for residential. So I was working with builders I was designing kitchens. I was in the back room um, putting together mullion windows, picture windows for homes. That's great. Was delivering windows. I was helping with the installation of windows, kitchen cabinets. I was doing ordering. Uh, I, I pretty much learned the business top to bottom. I worked there for six years, starting in high school and and uh, through uh, when I graduated from college. Uh, I was offered a position uh, to stay on after college in uh but I, I wanted to work for this big company. My parents both worked uh, at Upjohn at the time. I have a twin brother who worked at Upjohn at the time. So uh, my uncle was in training with Upjohn. I was a senior at Western and and he uh, we, we were at a family gathering and he said, Jerry said, I don't know if you'd be interested in this or not, but um, one of the things we do in training at Upjohn is uh, we hold training seminars where we teach new managers how to interview. Hmm. We use college students as the, he called them guinea pigs, You, you know the, the, the person that will be interviewed, and it teaches these people how to do that. Would you be interested in doing that? And I said, well, that sounds pretty cool. He says, well, we pay you to do that. You have lunch with us, but you also get to meet people within the company. So, I scheduled to, to do the interviews and I wanted to learn from the experience also. So I started reviewing and, uh, learning about the position that I was interviewing for. And I can remember being interviewed. I went through three interviews and the the last interview was a guy with a guy from Turner, Maine, a guy named Pete Pillsbury. And Pete and I just hit it off. and, And when we got done, I left and, uh, he looked at his boss, uh, his district manager, a guy named Ben Garrett, said, Ben, what do you do with a guy like that? And Ben said, you hire him. I love it. So anyway, that's that's was that was how I got into the company. Um, I guess the message to young people that are looking for a career is don't don't close your eyes to any opportunities because that that led to a 20-year career for me in pharmaceutical.
0: So you were literally um interviewing it was like a mock-up interview it was not a real it start didn't start as a real interview it was a practice interview
1: it really didn't start as an interview it was a way for them to train their district managers right but I you know to me it was it was a, a opportunity for me to you know to present myself and to learn and to do the research and and uh, that uh, the, the, the district manager that was in that uh, mock interview was the guy who ended up hiring me. And uh, I think I heard you mention Kokomo, Indiana in one of your uh, previous podcasts. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I ended up my first territory. I lived in Kokomo, Indiana. Did you really? And I covered the northern half of Indiana and then about seven or eight counties in southwestern Michigan. That's that's how I got started it up, John.
0: Well, as you know, probably, and as I know, then, as many or maybe some of our listeners know, Kokomo has strong roots. It has roots in the airfoil casting industry. It has roots in the aluminum extrusion industry. It, you know, reinvented itself numerous times, you know, um, truck caps, Winnebago's, all kinds of different related to metals. and Absolutely. And Absolutely. It's a great place. I mean, could go on about that. But I like the first thing I love is that you took what was a practice session for managers. You studied the company and you turned it into a 20 year career in big pharma. That's impressive, Jerry.
1: Well, John, thank you. I, um, it, it, I don't know. It just felt like the thing to do and it felt right. And, and I thought if I'm going to improve myself, I need to know how to do this. And what better way to do it than in a non-threatening environment. I had a resume that I had prepared that I had handed uh, to Pete when he interviewed me. I was dressed appropriately. And um, yeah, that ended, I started uh, in sales. Uh, My first territory was in Kokomo, Indiana. I I was only there a year. I moved into a larger territory living in Springfield, Illinois, uh, for about 10 years I went into, uh, was promoted to what's called national accounts, which was dealing with large corporate accounts. Uh, then I became a district sales manager. I had about a seven state uh, district that led to a uh, uh, internal marketing job. And then my last position with the company was as a business unit director. Um, and so that was, um, you know, that was sort of my path through uh, big pharma.
0: Okay. So uh, two things. things. I've got some feedback here, but we'll work through this. So two things. Um, you you mentioned to me as we were preparing that you know you were the small fish in a big pond. You trained, you rose up through the ranks. And then you shifted at some point. After 20 years, you shifted. And now you wind up in a smaller private company with all this direct sales and marketing responsibility with Amazon. So describe that transition and then tell us what Azon does and what you do for Azon, wh- where they fit in our uh, fenestration, exterior cladding industry and how you got there.
1: Sure, yeah, um, seems like the further I, I got in the company, um, the more it didn't feel satisfying to me anymore. Uh, matter of fact, when I, uh, they threw a little a leaving party for me when I was leaving and. And uh, one of the people who spoke said, you know, Jerry always tells people he's been at Upjohn for 20 years. He's really been here for 80 quarters, and that's how the pharmaceutical industry is driven. And and um, the focus was really solely on on the you know on the, the balance sheets, and how do I do this, and, and how do I uh, meet the the corporate goals and corporate budgets, and that that just didn't feel satisfying to me um, you know i found that we didn't always do smart things to meet current budgets you know we we'd mortgage next year or something to make this year and then you have to you know try to figure out it just it, it was it's the way the big companies run and i think part of it john was um, getting dissatisfied with that and also reaching a, a point in my life i people probably call it midlife crisis you know starts in your late 30s around, around 40 and I thought I either have to accept that this is my future or I have to change my scenery. And I can still remember, John, um, when I was leaving, a guy that I worked with um, for 20 years that I was there, a lot of people came up to me and said, why are you leaving? I mean, you've been very successful. I won the sales academies and I'd been promoted and I had you know stock options and all those things. And uh, Jim Lauderdale is the guy's name. And he came up to me and he smiled and he said, I'm so happy for you. And I said, why? And he said, because you're living the prayer of Jabez. Are you familiar with that? I am. Okay, I wasn't. I said, Jim, what are you talking about? And, and he said, I want you to read it. But he said, basically, the prayer of Jabez says, you know, Lord, expand my territory and bless me and keep me from pain or keep me from harm. And um, he said, that's what you're doing. He said, you're, you're changing your world and changing your environment. And uh, so I still have that in my office. So I have the perp of Jabez in my office. And, and, and I, I didn't look at it that way, John, but um, I'm celebrating 20 years with Azon next month.
0: That's fantastic.
1: And I still remember that discussion with Jim Lauderdale like it was yesterday. And uh, I guess the moral of the story is you never know who you're going to influence or what you're going to say to somebody to influence them. Uh, But he he influenced me in a big way.
0: Yeah. I'll go, I'll go super spiritual for one second and then come back to this. I've, I've prayed that prayer, but more recently as my wife and I've been discussing, I've been praying the prayer, God expand your territory and your influence through me with kingdom values and how I treat people and how I interact with the world and how I steward the resources that you put through me so you can increase and I can decrease. And it's only a battle 60 seconds, every 60 seconds, every 24 hours in an entire day, warring, you know, between flesh and spirit. But it's a great, both of those are great perspectives because Mm -hmm. both of them are appropriate, you know, um, so that's really good. I'm I'm really glad you uh, shared that. The prayer of Jabez is an interesting little book. Um,
1: you know, John, to, to um, build on what you just said about your prayer, that's that goes back to your analogy of the iceberg, <laughs> that what you are below the waterline reflects in what people see above the waterline.
0: Yeah, that's sure. So
1: we, we see that with you.
0: Oh, you know. to know. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, I love this catharsis. So you're in this. I gotta I gotta change my scenery, I gotta change my environment. Now you're 20 years at Azon. Tell us what Azon does and what you do at Azon.
1: Sure, uh, Azon is a entering our 44th year. Um, we are a, a thermal barrier, primarily a thermal barrier uh, manufacturer for aluminum, windows, storefront, curtain wall, doors, that type of thing. Now, we've got some other businesses that we're in. Uh, We have a uh, polyurethane grouting business, which is for water stops, soil stabilization, those types of things. So, we work on tunneling projects. Uh, We have an Eaton plant just a few miles from Kalamazoo, and they wanted to build a underground facility where they could test diesel engines. And so, we went in with them, and we prepared the room, stabilizing the soil all the way around underground so that they could do that. I see. We worked on the um, Toronto Airport, um, the city airport, which is actually out on an island and they had to tunnel to get to it. So we worked on keeping water from entering into the tunnel, that kind of thing. Uh, the The thing I think that's exciting about Azon and that makes us a little different is that we are pretty much as vertically integrated in our industry as you can be. Uh, we design, engineer, build, install all of our processing equipment to process uh, extrusions using our thermal barrier. We manufacture a couple of different mechanical lock devices which increase and improve the structural strength of the urethane. We have a service team, we visit every customer location that we have at least quarterly to inspect the machinery, uh, to uh, do what we call a quality audit. We have a web-based platform that our customers can access all their quality records um, and so we're, we're pretty much we, we start when somebody is interested in buying machinery. we install the machinery um, we service it we sell the the polyurethane chemicals we help we train them how to how to design windows and, and curtain wall systems and uh, I, I really enjoy that and we're a global company so we do that we do that all over the world
0: yeah. That's uh, that's unique. I know of a couple of other companies like that. So you're not just making the the thermal product; you're making the equipment that makes the thermal product, and you're servicing and installing the. You're really an OEM. You're top to bottom design. We are yes. And manufacturer partner, man, the whole deal.
1: We have customers now. we're, we're in our forty fourth year, and we have customers who have been with us for that whole time. That's great. Uh, they started with us. Uh, matter of fact, several around where you are uh, in the Pittsburgh area, in, um, well, Ron Canton, Pittsburgh, uh, Sharon, Pennsylvania. Uh, we have a customer there and all over the, really all over the world. But um, that's what we do. And it's becoming, um, it, it's, a, it's really a fun industry because energy codes are forcing us to get better every day in what we do. And so, um, that, that really keeps us energized because people are relying on us. We're, we're the difference between making, uh, the, energy code and not making an energy code a lot of times. Yeah. Now you're,
0: before we go deeper on the technical side, I was interested in how you, you know, you were a, a cog in the wheel before, but now you're, you said you're, uh, your position carries the responsibilities for sales and marketing for Azon's current and future line of products on a global basis. That that's not any any tall order, is it?
1: I actually, John, uh, when I got your email, kind of wanting to know you know a little bit about me, I I pulled the my uh, offer of employment, uh, and that I took that that line right directly from the letter from our CEO, who's who's my boss.
0: That's good. Yeah,
1: and uh, and, you know, it was weird because, you know, my, my wife liked the stability of, of working at, at Upjohn, and it was a great place, and I was making, you know, really good money. It, I actually, it, it took a year for me to make the change um, and was actually offered the position three times before I finally accepted it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you kind of get this wild thought that you want to leave, and then you start doing it, and there's a little fear involved with it of, you know, going somewhere that I don't know. Sure. So anyway, I I interviewed and uh, was offered the job and I I turned it down. Um, And then about a month later, I got a call back from my my boss, my current boss now. And he said, you know, we've interviewed a lot of people, but your name is still the one that, you know, we're comparing people to. Would you consider coming back in? So I went back in and and I interviewed a second time and um, it's still it just it just I, I wasn't ready at that point to make the decision uh, almost a year later at Christmas time, I got a Christmas card from my boss, from Dave. And I thought, you know what, I want to see how the new guy's doing. So I yeah. called him and, and just chit chat. And I said, how's the new guy doing? He said, you know, we hired somebody. He said he was here just for six months and we parted ways. He said, L- let's give this a third try. And so I came back in and at that point, uh, John, everything felt right. And, um, you know, the, the offer was sweet and it was beautiful. And the thing that really excited me was the opportunity to be, uh, to make a big impact on our business. Yeah. Um, Asia has always, um, been very interesting to me and I never got a chance to go there when I was in pharmaceutical. I'd been to Europe, you know, many times, but, um, the Asian business really, uh, excited me and we were going, we were transfer trans, uh, Kind of transferring from a, a holding company in China to becoming a manufacturing facility there, and so um, I uh, over the course of the last 20 years, I've been in China maybe 25 times or so, and have kind of seen it grow from its infancy to where it is today. Uh, and so that that was another really important and exciting part of of the offer.
0: Yeah, we could spend the whole podcast on that, but we won't. <laughs> come back to it. Um, that You've got a number of things in common. All of our guests have different things in common. One of the things is either this, I worked for somebody and then I started my own business or I worked for a big corp and then I transitioned to a private corp or I had to figure out how to make it on my own or become responsible for this. Uh, I, I love the commonality that comes because whether you started your own business after big pharma or whether you went to this smaller private company, there's still risk involved there. And, right. Yeah. Um, sounds like a great place. So in, for, the, for the benefit of our audience, some who know and can see it and some who probably have no idea, what in the world is a thermal break product in aluminum and what. What is yours comprised of? What is it made of? What does it look like?
1: You know, John, it's amazing that I think you're right that a lot of people don't really understand the concept. Um, When I'm at parties talking to people that know nothing about construction, I just say we've developed a way to put a low thermal conductivity material inside a high thermal conductivity aluminum frame so that it can become energy efficient and comfortable for us when we're going through still Ohio or Kalamazoo, Michigan winters. Mm-hmm. And it's just actually in the design of the extrusion where ours starts with a single, uh, a single extrusion and it's designed with what we call a thermal cavity. So somewhere between the interior and exterior face of the extrusion, we put a U-shaped um, cavity inside the extrusion. And then um, we design equipment that will put the urethane into the extrusion, and allow it to cure. And then we remove the bottom part of the extrusion, so you actually end up with two pieces of aluminum held together with a structural polyurethane. The systems that we use, John, are two-component urethanes. There's an isocyanate component, which really is the reactive side, and mm-hmm. side that kind of uh, it gives a lot of the structural strength. The other side is the resin side, which gives you the operating and processing properties you're looking for. Uh, We have a a chemical system, matter of fact, that's patented um, and the only one allowed in China for use in curtain wall if you're using a pour and bridge system that uh, we call it universal no tape. And it uh, goes into the extrusion, it cures very rapidly, from, it goes from being a chemical to being hard enough to debridge bridge in about three minutes. And our processing equipment is designed to run about 180 feet a minute. So you can imagine if you go into an extrusion plant, if they're running at capacity, you know, they can run, you know, 20 different dies during a shift and still run 30 or 40,000 lineal feet of extrusion. And that really is kind of our claim to fame because it's high speed and we control the process from how it's designed to how the machinery is built to how the chemical is built. Um, we do thermal simulations for people. You know, John, if you came to us and said, "Hey, we're working on a project now. We need this amount of structural strength, and we need this. This is the U-factor that the project's going for." We could simulate it. We could design it. We could bring it back to you and say, "This is what we would recommend based on the design uh, components you've given us to get to where you want to go."
0: Okay, I got a bunch of questions then. So some listeners who are quite educated in this realm um, may be saying, oh, yeah, 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 port and bridge. I've done that. I'm an isobar guy um, or I'm I'm an isobar person. But when you presented your product, you showed me and showed us something a bit unique about your debridged uh, process and mechanism and – And so on. You know, as structural engineers, we always had a problem with the composite or lack of composite nature and the degradation and all those things associated. But you guys have an interesting ability to create a friction connection. Can you describe that?
1: Absolutely, John. Um, As the business has evolved over 44 years, when we first started in the business, we relied solely on adhesion of the liquid polyurethane to whatever finish was on the extrusion. Right. As you know, the world is evolving, and that includes finishes. And as finishes have evolved, the the people who make finished chemicals are designing them so nothing will stick to them, kind of like Teflon. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: When you have a product that relies on adhesion, and the people that you're trying to partner with have the priority of trying to design things that nothing stick to, that becomes a conflict. Yeah, And so... We have a couple of different ways that we mechanically lock the urethane inside the extrusion, and it really depends on the configuration of the extrusion. Um, one of the systems was actually designed by Cornier, and you know, people in our industry know who Cornier is. Um, we have the global manufacturing and marketing rights to some technology that they developed, and it's a machine called the Lancer. And it just, it, it stakes the extrusion and gives the urethane additional bonding sites. And it's to the point, John, where if you were to use a mechanically locked extrusion, Azon offers a warranty that nothing bad's going to happen to that extrusion as a result of the thermal break for a period of time, minimum of 10 years and longer if, if we need it for the job. That's great. I don't know if I answered your question, but we, we really, now we have the benefit of adhesion. Most of the time we get great adhesion, but also the mechanical lock guarantees adhesion. And some of the uh, structural numbers we're getting are, they're mind blowing. Uh, I remember when I was in your office, I showed you a picture, it, I see you smiling now. Um, it was a picture of a four inch piece of extrusion that was holding up. What was it holding, John?
0: A BMW 300.
1: (laughs) And the point I was trying to make with that is that the amount of shear strength that that extrusion was capable of delivering was comparable to the weight of a BMW 3 Series car, which is about 3,500 pounds. Right. Uh, I think since then, John, I I, uh, told you about a project we're working on in New York now, and the catalyst for this, um, you wrote an article in Glass Magazine in April of 2018, talking about trends in curtain wall. And one of your comments was more glass, bigger glass, heavier glass. And, and in your article, you said um, glass sizes from uh, 75 to 120 square feet uh, right. of glass. But we were, uh, we were actually talking to the uh, company about this project. And two things we said in the meeting that got their attention. One was that we had extremely high structural strength. The second was that we had a team that would help them design the extrusion to deliver the results that they needed. Um, We ended up testing that extrusion. We got about 5,600 pounds of shear. And the project uh, in New York, uh, the glass size is 189 square feet per glass section.
0: That's impressive.
1: (laughs) So it, it's just it's, it's that kind of thing that, um, that I've been involved in and, and have um, watched the, the evolution of our industry um, to be able to do those kinds of things. You know, 10 or 15 years ago, we would, that wouldn't have been an option for us. But uh, with mechanically locking and, and we, we, do a, we have a full testing lab here so we, we can test it and we can tell you how things are going to perform. We actually had testing done at Intertech in York, Pennsylvania, not far from where you are. Uh, the other thing, the other uh, measurement that was really high was the tensile strength, which is also important. That was about 32 or 3300 pounds in a four inch piece of extrusion. And so those are some of the things, John, that allow us to be on some of the projects that we're on that we're really honored to be a part of to help that uh, contract blazer or engineering firm or building owner meet thermal and structural requirements of an ever changing pro- uh, project design.
0: Yeah, no, I hear that we, you know, as structural engineer, when we when we have our structural engineer hat on, uh, years ago, or for systems that still rely on adhesion, and and frankly, I rarely if ever see a, a poured into bridged system anymore. But we would we would skip the bridge. Well, of course, that that doesn't provide the kind of thermal performance you you want. We'd say, well, you got to have an inch of metal every twelve inches, or an inch mm-hmm. every 15 inches, or whatever to handle the the composite shear flow but the knurled edge was was very interesting to me, the friction, and by the way, if anybody hasn't seen this picture, um, this isn't an ad phrase on, this is just information, but I love this picture, this BMW hanging, for this figurative picture, this BMW, and I said, you ought to do that and put it on television. You ought, <laughs> you ought to have at the glass show, you ought to have a BMW hanging from an extrusion, spinning around and saying, Come
1: look at our thermal break; <laughs> it'd be great. You no, know, yeah, that, that it, it's fun because I think engineers and, and designers are really visual people, and that was a really easy visual way to show uh, that, and it it brings people comfort. You know, we we have um, contract glazers and engineering firms all over the country trying to figure out how we're gonna how we're gonna get this project done. Um, we have one of the, one of the uh, projects we worked on in China, uh, John, when I was working over there was the um, Olympic Center in Beijing that was built for the 2008 Olympic Games. That's 3 million square feet under roof. Wow. And we were working with the Chinese government and with the Chinese standards people um, and, and we were awarded that project and it was a lot uh, based on our ability to demonstrate both thermal and structural efficiency. That's correct. Talk to me
0: about, so I have a quick question first. Do you have a warm edge spacer or wasn't there a time where Azon was developing a warm edge spacer or am I, am I not remembering that correctly?
1: No, you are remembering it correctly. Um, John, we, we, um, we built and marketed a warm edge spacer probably for, it was here when I came um, to Azon and we discontinued it about seven or eight years ago. Uh, I'll I'll say two things about that spacer. It was the the most structurally sound spacer on the market for these big glass spans, but it was also the most expensive spacer to manufacture. It it was a roll formed aluminum spacer. Uh, It was done on a 23 or 24 pass roll form machine, which means lots of bends and angles and tolerances (laughs) and then uh, we put a a urethane thermal break in we had to have a different uh, formulation top and bottom so that you could bend so the bottom urethane had to be pliable the top one had to have very good moisture vapor transmission properties and it just was so expensive to manufacture that um, we, we just we couldn't we took control of everything we could take control of and our cost of manufacture was about the market selling price of our competitors, and it just you, you kind of get to a point where you know we we have some really nice projects around the world with it, but it just wasn't anything that we could uh, figure out how to do profitably. And uh, several of your um, prior guests have said that you know that as much as you love something, if you can't figure out a way to have it be profitable for you and profitable for the glazer. Mm -hmm. You really don't have anything. And that was really, uh, I think there's a lot of products now in the glass innovations now that are facing the same difficulty with just very high costs. And, you know, they get value engineered out of projects. And uh, so anyway, we had that. uh, We discontinued it. um, And life goes on.
0: Yeah, the reason I asked is because I was thinking about, you know, you talked about how you'll run thermal analysis and, you know, thermal compliance assess U values and, you know, this this whole mindset of of minding the edge, you know, mm-hmm. of the edge of the glass and the edge of the metal because in the thermal calculation, of course, you know, if we're just looking at center of glass U value, it can be pretty impressive, you know, point 1 or .22 or .25 or whatever we want and i've often had clients say oh that calculation of .4 can't be correct the glass is .26 i yeah. said well the aluminum is very conductive and when you include the perimeter of the aluminum and the in the edge spacer of the glass it's quite significant what's the hardest part about communicating your message or you know developing that whole process i mean do you face any challenges there, sizes of breaks, communicating, um, getting acceptance? What's that
1: like? You know, John, um, there's there's about seven answers in that question. Yeah, but, um, question. Um, what I tell people, and you, you, know, you try to break it down into as easy to understand uh, things as you can. I can remember um, I was meeting with an architect in Pittsburgh. And um, she had asked that I come in to talk about what we're talking about today. And I said, before we get started, let me ask you a question. I said, how many um, specified components are there in a building? She started last. She's probably 100,000. I said, how many of those are you really good at? She said, I can count them on one hand, but that's why I need people like you. Mm-hmm. But what I tell people, John, that when you're looking at the thermal efficiency of the aluminum framing, which is really what we're talking about, The two things you've got to work with is thermal conductivity of the material and the amount of separation that you can achieve in the aluminum occupied by the thermal break. So what you've noticed from Azon and from Technoform and Insinger and others is the gaps are getting wider, which gives us improved thermal efficiency. One of the advantages of urethane is that you can go really wide on the frame without giving up structural strength. And, you know, we talked, you talked earlier, you asked about, you know, I'm, I'm a polyamide guy or I'm a polyurethane guy. Uh, that's one of the things that we talk about is, is that you can do that with urethane. You can get, you know, three quarters of an inch or an inch and still have very strong structural strength. Another advantage we have with urethane is you can actually put two thermal cavities side by side in the frame. And John, that is one of the coolest things to do. Let's say... An, and Cornier actually was the one who 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 first understood this mm-hmm. storefront system called 451T. It's their everybody knows 451T. It's 451. With a one-inch IG with one coated surface, uh, you're going to get about a 0.4 U factor on that.
0: Okay.
1: We developed an extrusion with them that put a second cavity the same size in the frame, kept everything else the same. And when we simulated it, it became a 0.32. So we had a 20% improvement in thermal efficiency just by adding that second cavity. And so now today you'll see we have wide cavities, we have bigger cavities. And so we're working with uh, the the thermal conductivity of our material is less than one. The thermal conductivity of aluminum is 1,109.
2: Mm-hmm. So you
1: can see that the the thermal break is what really helps keep the cold from the outside to transmit in the inside or in places like uh, Las Vegas, where you're spending a lot of money on air conditioning. It's keeping the cool in. It's keeping the hot out.
2: Yeah. So
1: you've got thermal conductivity and you've got the amount of separation uh, in the frame that really helps with that and in the sash.
0: Yeah. So you have a particular. Focus. I mean, you have a lot of different constituents that you have to um, inform or educate or you know provide content to. Do, do you guys focus on architects? Do you focus on glazers? Do you focus on all of them? Do you manufacture? I mean, how do you go about communicating your message? And are there any particular challenges with any of those constituents?
1: You know, John, that's a great question, and that'll also help me pick up something you said earlier. Um, you know, we, have been here for 44 years. We, we work with, um, the large extruders, um, people like Astro Shapes in Struthers, Ohio, which is a neighbor of yours. Uh, the corner location that used to be Traco down in Pennsylvania, uh, uh, T-mark in in Fonda, New York, and, uh, you know, coast to coast and all over the world. Uh, we also work with, with all the major window manufacturers. Uh, we work with, um, architects. One of the things, John, that that has happened to us is that thermal breaks and curtain wall are a relatively new phenomenon. Curtain wall was the last business segment really to pick up the idea of a thermally broken extrusion. Uh, Now we used thermal isolators for a long time when we wanted to improve thermal efficiency, but the the true thermally broken extrusion you probably know better than I, but probably within the last seven to ten years, it's really become a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we knew all of the extruders, but we we didn't know their customers as intimately as we needed to. Hmm. And so, about maybe four or five years ago, uh, we we kind of added that dimension. That's what led me to you, John. I was actually um, with a, a friend of yours, a guy named John Ishii. Yeah. Out in, in Oregon and and uh I was showing that slide of yours from the glass magazine and he started smiling and he said I used to work for John.
2: Mm-hmm. And so
1: anyway, he that's how you and I got introduced together. But what we're doing now, and COVID has really helped us. Um we're doing a lot of Zoom conferencing now. Um, contract glazers are really hard to get all in a room at one time, understandably so. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, they've got
1: projects going on all over. And, and so as, um, as COVID has, has curtailed our travel a bit, we have done a thing that we call um, remote lunch and learns. So I would call you up, John, and I'd say, hey, um, we'd like to do a lunch and learn with you, but because we can't get together, if you're interested in doing this, we'll do a Zoom conference. We'll send lunch to your office for everybody who's gonna participate. We'll do our Zoom conference. And it, it really has turned out to be a really nice way for us to interact and we the, the response has really been been excellent to that kind of a, a structure.
0: So you made an interesting uh, caught my attention immediately when you said covid has actually helped us and that's been some of the discussion points you know there's been negatives and positives so you, have you conducted more lunch and learns it's been it's been easier better easier to get people's attention easier to handle the logistics with the remote capability
1: You know, really, it has. Um, We we did a lot of meetings before, but because we were traveling to places, you really limit the number you can do in a week, just because you've got so much travel time involved.
2: Yeah,
1: and so um, we we have found that um, people are very receptive to it, and um, we use LinkedIn a lot, and um, so we'll we'll post things on LinkedIn, and then people will respond to them, and that'll start the dialogue, and and next thing you know, we're doing a, a lunch and learn. Um, for for people and it it really has been it's it's been an eye opening uh, experience I think for uh, for these glazers and for us as well.
0: Jerry, do you have an opinion or an experience that? What's my question? I you know nobody has a crystal ball clarity on what tomorrow is, but. Do you see this as the new normal in terms of how you will deliver continuing it? Or do you see a hybrid in the future um, where you're like, well, sometimes we just need to be in the same space, but boy, this is a nice way to to, to deliver. What? Any any thoughts about that?
1: You know, um, John, I think it's going to be a hybrid. I, I still think there is benefit um, beyond measure in being able to look somebody in the eye and shake their hand. Yeah. And I can remember when I came to your office, just the opportunity for me to learn about you and about your business and to meet your team. And then when I see you at, at other events, now we've got something, you know, in common we've met and, you know, we've, we've exchanged emails back and forth. I do think that COVID has forced people to be more creative Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, possibly a catalyst even for your uh, for your podcast is that you know you can still communicate with people you want to communicate with, even though you may not be able to travel and see them. Yeah, uh, I do want to mention this too, uh, John. You, we talked about my my uh, upbringing in pharmaceutical. The the Pfizer plant that manufactures COVID nineteen vaccine is an old Upjohn facility that I've been in many many times. It's about five miles from my home and the North American manufacturing COVID-19 vaccine manufacturing facility is here in Kalamazoo, Michigan.
0: That's terrific. Let's talk about that building for a minute. That, that building, I have been in that building when it was Pfizer with one of my colleagues, Mark Koulis, who will be on an upcoming podcast with Paul Greasy and I about the importance of consulting Gordon Smith actually won the assignment, but a famous architect designed that building. Am I correct?
1: You know, I I don't know that that building where the one that I'm referring to is is was probably built in the 1940s or something. Okay. But the Kalamazoo campus, uh, John has there's probably hundreds, you know, of buildings. The oh. campus where that um, where that is was the main manufacturing site for um, for Upjohn Pharmaceuticals. I see. Uh, Upjohn started in in, uh, 1886 and uh, actually started as, um, doctor. there was a doctor, a guy named uh, W.E. Upjohn, who was an M.D., and he used to buy uh, medicines like all doctors did back in those days, and they would deliver them in wood crates. Mm -hmm. He was opening one of the wood crates, and he found that one of the pills he had ordered actually embedded itself under the lid of the crate, and it wasn't broken. And so he thought, well, if the, if the pill is not um, dissolving, is it doing any good in the patient? And through a series of studies found out that it wasn't doing much good. So his claim to fame actually was a development and invention of what's called the friable pill. I see. And uh, the the first, the early pictures of him uh, under the Upjohn logo was his thumb on a pill. And it, it was called the Upjohn Friable Pill Company. And they were a of a contract uh, formulator for other pharmaceutical companies until Upton developed their own uh, things. That's, yeah,
0: there was a specific building I was in and it was a, a building of node architecturally. I think it was a research and development office, um, but I'll, I'll move off of that. I, I was on that campus area or one of the campuses, very impressive. A
1: very, was that building all, all glass or a lot of glass? Yeah, you were in. Yeah, that that was the old um, Upjohn corporate headquarters. It was called the Taj Mahal. That that's what we called it here.
0: Had a cafeteria in it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. That that building is no longer there. That's been removed when Pfizer came in and the headquarters moved to New York.
0: Okay. Yeah. So
1: that, a, that building is no longer.
0: You made a. It, maybe we've already covered this. If we have, that's fine. But you made a really interesting comment to me that every day you're in a classroom, whether it's on an extrusion line or meeting with upper management or capital expenditure campaign. Um, is that an attractive aspect to your role? And do you find that specific to this industry, that there's always something new to learn?
1: You know, John, um, as I sit here today, 20 years into this job, I love it more today than the day I came here. Uh, I can't say the same about pharmaceutical. I, I, I was tired uh, of that. And, and that's really, um, I'm glad I was because it, it helped me realize that I wasn't, um, I wasn't where I needed to be. And when I say that every day is on a, I'm in a classroom, that's really true. And, um, uh, although I have a formal college education, where I learn is from visiting people like you and, in contract glazers and extrusion plants and window manufacturers and, and, um, you know, go to job sites and do those things. And that, that is exciting. Um, honestly, one of the most challenging things for me was um, I haven't traveled since the BEC conference in Nashville in March. Me neither. Yeah, do you remember that? Do you remember what happened at that conference that made that such a memorable event? Yeah. Tornado. <laughs> we were evacuated. We were staying at the Marriott uh, which, by the way, is a YKK project containing our urethane thermal break. I was there. Uh, so anyway, we got evacuated. But uh, I, I, I love this industry. I, I think there's really good people in this industry. Probably the hardest the hardest challenge that we have is there's so many people coming at you and at Contract Glazers and others. And um, sometimes it's hard even to get an audience, just to do, can I show you something that you might be interested in? And COVID has really helped with that. Um, And uh, I, I, you know, I, I see a hybrid after we're done, I'll be back out traveling, but uh, I think we've all learned that um, this is a really good way with just an hour of your time and an hour of my time, we can cover a lot of ground together.
0: Yeah. Where people wouldn't even thought about it prior. Now it's become the necessary standard and it will it will allow for intermediate meetings in between travels or during travels you know quickly this is funny quickly on the the BEC in February that's the last time or early March that's the last time I traveled as well shut everything down after that um that tornado hit in the middle of the night. I, I'm a pretty hard sleeper. So it was one or one or whatever, when that speaker came on and I had been wanting to connect with Rob Anderson from Anderson aluminum. We were like, Hey, we got to meet, we got to, cause we were doing some work together or I, I can't remember if we had already done, started work together, or if we were working through the process and I had met um, his sister who works in marketing there, but I hadn't met him. So we go down to the basement of the hotel, right? We're all in there. It's 1.30, 1.45, <laughs> 2 in the morning. all of a sudden I hear, John? I look up. He's like, it's Rob. So <laughs> in the yeah. street block tornado shelter in the middle of the night. And uh, that was an interesting time.
1: I still remember, too, John, we were in the same hotel. And I can remember afterwards, everybody standing by the elevators. And, you know, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. And so... I'm thinking, well, I'm on the 19th floor. How long can that take to walk? And so me and a few hundred other people in the stairwell going up to our floors.
0: I did the same, Jerry. I said, I'm not getting on that elevator. Yeah. In the wintertime I'm walking. So I went 17 flights and got back to bed for a couple of hours. That was, <laughs> um, that's really good. Uh you, You said that our industry and our world is always changing Mm -hmm. and uh, we have to do so as well. What's, like you said, what was good enough to get you here isn't good enough to keep you here. Sounds like, is that, is that mentality? You know, you said, I love it more now than when I started. And I, I gotta say, while I do get tired on certain days, everything's still new. It's always new. Mm -hmm. Um, do you find that that's necessary or that helps propel you continually forward?
1: I, John, I think it helps us um, innovate. Uh, here's a here's a story that I'll, I'll tell you. Um, Azon's been an, a member of AMA, American Architectural Manufacturers Association, for 40 years. Yeah. Uh, I can remember oh, probably about 15 years ago, we had a meeting, and this is when energy codes are first starting to heat up. And I was with a group of manufacturers, aluminum window manufacturers, and the first 4.0 U factor was introduced. And people were talking like, this is gonna put the aluminum window industry out of business, there's no way we can make that. And bureaucrats who don't understand the need for robust uh, framing systems are making energy codes. And so anyway, we had this whole discussion. Today in New York City, for buildings ten stories and under, if you want an aluminum window, a fixed aluminum window, the U factor allowance is a, a 0.30. We have customers today without triple glazing making windows with U uh, factor less than 0.30. Uh, one of the things Ason has done recently, we talked earlier about thermal conductivity and about the separation of the aluminum. Uh, the thermal conductivity of the Azon material is 0.84. We have introduced a thermal break now that's got a thermal conductivity of 0.21 or four times more more efficient in blocking cold and heat transfer than our old system. Yeah. And so what that allows us to do, John, is that we have been able to design uh, aluminum framing for commercial windows and not have to go to triple glazing and still can be less than a 0.3 U factor. That is a story that is getting us into a lot of people, because even though you're in the curtain wall business and so are we, a lot of your clients and a lot of our clients are also doing tall buildings with punched windows. We're doing terrace doors. Uh, We're doing window wall now. That's becoming a bigger deal. And uh, we have a customer in Ontario that is um, developing a window wall system with this new thermal break in it um, just because it's so energy efficient. You talked about the um, the U center of glass of being a 0.24. We've reached a point now where we can make the aluminum framing virtually as energy efficient as the center of glass. And that's allowing us to get down below 0.3 U factor. And that's, that's what, That has been driven by um, State of California Title 24, New York City Energy Codes, the IECC, International Energy Conservation Code, Energy Star, those types of things. And as they push, we've been able to find ways to meet those numbers. And um, that's what keeps me excited, John. I I love it when we, we have a conference call tomorrow with a company that sells windows in New York. And it's about this topic about New York energy codes. And mm. we're excited to get this, uh, you know, p- people, the first thing they wanna do is go to triple glazing, which a lot of people don't like. It's heavy, it's expensive. And we're showing people ways to get to the values they need to get to without having to do that unless they wanna do that.
0: Mm-hmm, I, you know, you just made a really key point that, cause one of my questions is, well, what in the world can you really change with, you know, a polyurethane thermal break? And you just said you, you've you improved the formulation in such a manner that you've got four times the effectiveness than you had prior. Is that what I heard?
1: Yes, John, it's still a polyurethane product. It's called a high-density polyurethane foam. Uh-huh. And so um, we reacted that the standard urethane, when you put it into the cavity, you fill the cavity all the way up with it and it cures. This product is an expandable foam product, but it's still a closed, it's it's a very small cell structural polyurethane that is about a third of the density of our standard material.
0: So there's more air air in it.
1: There's more air in it. The cool thing is, John, that we're still able to get high structural strength um, out of it. The, The company that we actually developed this with was out of the U.K., and they were using—they were 100% polyamide strut window manufacturer. They were—they wanted to be the first window company in Europe to be able to achieve passive house rating on an aluminum window. Okay. Um, for for your guests that may not know, passive house is 0.8 watts per meter Kelvin or 0.14 in the BTUs. Um, we were able to work with this company called Senior Architectural Systems in the UK, and they have developed a window using our. Uh, high-density polyurethane foam that gets them uh, in a operable window, a 0.14, and in a fixed window a little bit better than that. The only um, aluminum window in Europe that has achieved Passive House rating, and uh, we're partners with them.
0: Have you seen more demand for Passive House or more spec for Passive House? I, I know it's a challenging spec to meet. Um, if, any observations there?
1: You know, uh, John, passive house really is kind of a European. You know, that's that's a European invention. What I do see, though, is things like um, Title Twenty Four in California, mm-hmm. where you know California, because of their climate, used to be kind of a non-thermal market, and now because of the thermal requirements in California, that has driven the, the industry toward um, thermal barriers. New York City, Um, you know, there was some talk there about reducing the window wall ratio and all of those things. And what they really want is a more energy efficient building. And and we have found ways to do that very effectively and very efficiently. Yeah. And So I don't know what the future brings. But thinking back to that AMA meeting where people are ready to fold the tent over uh, 0.4 U-factor, we have a customer right now, John, that um, makes both aluminum and vinyl windows. And both of them have the same u factor
0: that's fantastic
1: uh, so and they have actually developed a, a, a way to attach a wood piece to the interior of the window so if they're selling into the residential market from the inside it looks like a wood window from the outside it's got all the durability of a, a, a finish that you would apply to an aluminum substrate.
0: yeah I like that. Um, let's shift gears as we you know approach the end here a um, couple, I have a couple more questions. Um, one of them is, you talked about when you were younger, you focused more on success, but as you got older, you focused more on significance, but yet you've achieved a lot of success, or shall I say, really a lot of satisfaction in your job and position. What, what do you mean by that?
1: Well, two, two things, John, and, and that, that transition really came, um, believe it or not, the pastor of my church, um, and I were talking and, and I just told him how, how unsatisfied I was with, I, I just, I, I felt young and smart and energetic, but I just wasn't in a, in an area that I was being fulfilled. He led me to a book called Halftime and it was written by a guy named Bob Buford. And this, he was, he wrote, this is written back in the nineties. And it talks about the shift from success to significance in your life. The way I applied that here, when I was in pharmaceutical and focused on success, I was focused on quarterly numbers and black sheets and doing all those things. When I came to Azon, I thought, you know what, if I do the right things and help people achieve their goals, we're going to achieve our goals. And so that's a way different way of looking at it. And, you know, John, just like this New York City project that we talked about earlier, you know, they had a problem. They, they were trying to figure out how to take this great big piece of glass and put it into a building so that it was safe. And we were able to do that with them. And so that's very satisfying to us, you know, to be able to do that. And so as we go, I, I have developed so many really wonderful relationships and I get calls, Seven days a week from people, uh, they've all got my cell phone number, and it, it's really a partnership, and that's what I enjoy. That's what I wasn't getting uh, in pharmaceutical. I got a lot of training in pharmaceutical. Um, I had a manager there who said, "We can't guarantee you, you employment, but we can guarantee to make you employable," and so <laughs> there was a lot of training. Yeah, you know, and that that was really vital to what I've become here and what I've been able to do. The other thing I want to say is that I work with a really outstanding, wonderful group of people here at Azon. And we've got some really smart people who know how to do their jobs. And, um, you know, we work together beautifully and we kind of stay out of each other's business, but we're there to support when it's needed. And um, that that is that is my move from, you know, from really focused on success to focus on, uh, significance in achieving success beyond what I ever imagined, just by changing the way that I think and the way that I approach. Things.
0: That is a pearl and nugget. If if the only takeaway somebody has is that from the podcast, it will have been worth their time listening because you. I like how you phrased it. Different people have put it different ways, but as you've you focused on helping other people, you focused on creating value. Instead of having to be focused on quarterly numbers all the time, it's yeah. Driving. What I
1: what I have found too, John, is that as I focused on helping other people get where they want to go, and focused on just doing the best job we can, the numbers have always come because the number you know, manifest so,
0: of the healthy behavior.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's been so enriching. Um, you know, Sunday rolls around, and I can't wait to get to the office on Monday. <laughs> and uh, I, I just I I I've been blessed. I have led a very blessed life, and I just feel very fortunate with um, with where I am and with the the, the group that I, I get to mix with each and every day.
0: I'm so glad to hear that. Um, thank you for sharing that, Jerry. What about uh, social media? I always pull my guests about social media. Does Azon use social media? Um, you mentioned LinkedIn, and what's your... How have you viewed the effectiveness of different social media platforms?
1: You know, um, John, um, I, th- I think social media in a lot of instances has kind of gotten out of hand. Um, you know, I, I have a Twitter account and Azon has a Twitter account. But I find when I go on, especially if it's not specific to our industry, if it if political things kind of work their way in, it really becomes a it becomes a place for people just to say whatever they want to say and not really um, honor and respect you know other people's thoughts. Um, so I, I still I still cruise it a little bit, but LinkedIn is really the primary one that I use. I use Facebook, but that's more personal than business. Um, we have a, we have an Amazon Twitter account. We have an you know A's on LinkedIn account. Okay. Uh, the thing I like about that is that if you're going to come to, you know, if you're going to, first of all, you've got to, you got to agree to join me, you know, or I've got to agree to join you. And then I'm going to see what you've got to post. And it's because I want to. Um, there was a post this morning from a, a gentleman from Skyline Windows talking about heat mirror. Mm-hmm. And the way he laid the story out was just beautiful. And it's like, you know, and, and all of the comments were favorable and positive. And so that that's really the platform that I prefer.
0: It has been a platform i I recognized this a while ago. I've mentioned this in numerous podcasts. You know people weren't really valuing LinkedIn, and I kept thinking, I'm getting two, three, four, five, six thousand engagements at times where I'm getting ten on Facebook and I'm getting two hundred on Twitter. I talked to Brian Fraley about this last week as well. The LinkedIn community curates the social media platform better than any other community they do not let it like they call people out if they get too facebooky or if they get too political and it it it's very positively influenced in general that's my experience
1: Uh, john i share that with you i think on linkedin if somebody sees something and it moves them they'll respond favorably if it doesn't interest them they'll move on to the next post yeah Uh, And that's not what you see on other platforms. And I I think they've really gotten, they've lost their focus. Um, So I I find LinkedIn to be a a wonderful professional platform, as well as the other, the networking ways we have through magazines and through trade shows and things like that.
0: Yeah. For instance, today, um, for those listening out there, in case this is of any value, so kind of to your point, and I think there's value to all social media platforms in the right context. Uh, For instance, Mr. Fraley said that his constituents have found tremendous value on Instagram, but he's in heavy construction industry, both in manufacturing and in moving dirt and working with heavy construction. So it's a very visual platform. Mm -hmm. They've gotten very little success on Facebook. So today I was quoting a project for a customer, happened to be on a data center in Utah. We've talked about our consulting group potentially getting more involved in data centers since that continues to be a growth market. I was able to look at the architect's name on the plans because every set of plans is a rich data field of information. In fact, we, for years, have we've stopped it for about the last 18 months just because of other priorities, but we would put the data of every job we quoted, we would put it in our CRM program. We would put the architect, and the structural engineer and the owner and the developer, whoever we could. So we have this data. What did I do? I pulled up my handheld. I had the proposal up. I had my spreadsheets up. I had the plans up. I pulled up. I saw that architect. I followed the architect. It led me to their principles. I requested connections with their principles. I went to their website. I saw what they did. I forwarded it to one of my consultants. He said, yeah, thanks for that. That's a good idea. By the way, another opportunity came into me on this. And it creates this dynamic this snowball effect mm-hmm. that really you, you unless you had a team of five or six you literally people might think i'm crazy but you could have five or six people sitting like on the bench outside your office you'd be like this architect linkedin the website yeah like you would have a mountain of work you could do every day there's too much to keep track of but again linkedin was the place that i found it the most quickly and it led it to led me to all those spots.
1: They, they have done a really masterful job of managing, uh, that and making it a professional site for professionals. And, uh, I, I am, I'm in awe of what they have been able to build and, and really, uh, appreciate that, that, uh, value.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Well, again, we are, we have exhausted over an hour. Isn't that amazing?
1: That is amazing.
0: And uh, like you said, maybe we should have started recording when we were just kibitzing beforehand because that was fun too. But Jerry, any anything you want to say before we uh, we close for the day before we sign off? Anything you'd like to communicate, uh,
1: John? Just a, a thank you to you. Um, when I um, when, when you and I were kind of going back and forth on on some emails, and you extended the invitation to me to join, uh, but I I really felt. Um, what, what do I have to contribute? And as I listened to the podcast, the first one I listened to was Helen Sanders. And Helen is with a company that's a competitor of ours. And so I, I know Helen really well. And I know the, you know, the the Techniform folks. And as I listened to hers and to Mick Patterson and Max and others, I thought, you know, everybody's got a really interesting story to tell. Yeah. And, um, and I've got an interesting story that, you know, I, I hope your your listeners you know find interesting, and so I want to thank you for including me. Uh, the The fact that you've included me with the group that you've included me with is an honor to me, and uh, I hope that we have represented ourselves in in your podcast in a way that uh, is pleasing to you.
0: Absolutely, the, the honor is all mine. I I am continually fascinated and educated and filled with gratitude for people willing to take an hour or an hour and a half out of their day to sit and have a discussion that we can then put out hopefully for the benefit of someone or some group of people, um, whether in the industry or otherwise, I know I'm always edified. I was, I was smiling as I was thinking about the, the chance to sit down and talk with you and I was smiling as I was posting the previous podcast that Josh had, had produced and edited for me. And I'll look forward to doing the same for this. Believe it or not, I get to go back and listen to it in full a second time after after my producer listens and edits it. And I have I enjoy listening to it because I pick up things that I, I didn't hear because I'm the host, you know. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: It's really good. Uh, so he is Jerry Schwabar with Azon. You know a little bit of Jerry's story now. You could connect with him at Jerry Schwabar on LinkedIn, right? You're on LinkedIn. Yes. Yes. You have a Twitter feed, but you don't use that much, right?
1: Nope. Nope. And then we also have an Azon uh, account. Yeah. So they could access us through Azon. We use Azon USA because there's another company. uh, There's another Azon.
0: uh, On LinkedIn, Azon USA. uh,
1: Yeah. Or they'll they'll find us. uh, Yeah. On on LinkedIn at Azon or at Jerry Schwab um, on LinkedIn.
0: And what about your website? Is there an, can they reach you through your website at an information
1: Yeah, absolutely, John. The web address is azon, A-Z-O-N-I-N-T-L.com. It's azon international, and uh, azonintl.com.
0: That's great. We'll put all that in the show notes. So once again, Jerry, it's been great. Uh, Zoom is great. It's good talking to you. I'm glad you're healthy. You look great. Uh, thanks to the audience again for listening. We appreciate all of you who have listened. Uh, we look forward to your feedback and to future podcasts. That's going to be all for the day, Jerry. Thank you again. Have a great day.